Hello, everybody. This is Alien Talk Podcast. This is where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs and where we always push the limits of our understanding. We are your dedicated hosts, Joe Landry and Ori Olford, here again to bring you a fascinating show out across the World Wide Web as we explore the many manifold topics surrounding the idea of extraterrestrial life, the mystery of UFO encounters, and the studies of other paranormal occurrences. So we're glad to have you here with us. As we have a pretty interesting show today, one that some may even find spiritual and and inspiring. So hello there to you, Lori. Uh, happy Easter, you know, Jewish Passover, uh, Roman Lemuralia, Celtic Ulster, uh, Spring Festival in general, all of the above, right? Yeah, they're all pretty much the same. So uh, happy Easter to you also. Or as we like to say in the evangelical circles, uh, happy Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> Uh, so actually, many cultures have uh, spring celebrations with symbols of birth and rejuvenation, like decorated eggs, budding flowers, you know, what else? Uh, uh, well, you know, bunnies, chickies, duckies, any kind of cute <laughs> baby animal. <laughs> duckies and chickies. Yeah, right. And uh, well, these these all have their roots from uh, Roman and Celtic holidays that mark the arrival of springtime. And also venerated various deities, the goddess Venus, for one. The Egyptians had uh, similar spring celebrations that commemorated the resurrection of the god Osiris. And there were also the Babylonians who honored the fertility goddess Ishtar. So, yeah, the idea behind Easter actually goes back well before the Christian era. Uh, Call it whatever you want. It doesn't change, uh, even when the names in the story change. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has been merged with uh, with all the other aspects of the pagan festivals into the Easter holiday that we know of today. Of course, the same is true with uh, Christmas. Right. And today is actually Holy Saturday, which is also known as the Easter Vigil. It is part of the three-day Paschal Triduum, which ends the preparatory season of Lent. And it is the most sacred time on the liturgical calendar so much so that people are baptized on it in order to be initiated into the Catholic Church. It is during this season, which is spring, that the birth of a new body of the convert is commemorated, and it does coincide with the time believed to be that of Jesus' resurrection. It is called Holy Saturday because it is this day that the new catechumen receives a new body along with the risen Christ, supposedly one that will inherit eternal life, as is said in the Gospels. So that brings us to the topic for today, uh, the long-held belief in the possibility of people obtaining immortality. How did it originate? And is it connected in any way with the theory of our possible alien influences from a long time ago, uh, all the way to the time of creation, if you will? So we are merely asking the questions here. And since this is Easter, a time when the belief in everlasting life is widely celebrated, we thought it would only be fitting to discuss the perpetuating topic of immortality, if not of our physical bodies, then perhaps of our conscious. And, you know, we'll look at some of the uh, religious traditions that actually do shed some light on it. So please bear with us. Yeah, religion does indeed hold some clues to our innate need and desire to live forever beyond the deaths of our mortal bodies. Uh, just looking at the practice and idea behind something like penance or baptism. Uh, we see with that that it is loaded with symbolism and spiritual theme concepts about the metamorphosis between people being mortal 
and then becoming immortal. It is believed to be more than a, a mere representation. It is the actual act of the washing away of the old sinful self to bring forth a new and sanctified one that is set to follow the ways of God. And just as with the accounts of Jesus' baptism by John that foretell of his death and resurrection, so too does a baptism for the catechumen foretell of his or her resurrection after dying. For Jesus' baptism, uh, baptism was the start of his ministry as the Son of God, as seen by his disciples. Uh, for the Christian, it too is the start of his or her life with Jesus. It is a new life. They often refer to the whole moment as a great turning point where they are said to be born again, just as is commanded to the Pharisee Nicodemus in John 3, 3. And this rebirth is believed to bring everlasting life to the spirit of the person. Yeah, it's an important right since baptism is a scriptural tenet to salvation, just as Jesus says further in uh, John 3, 5, that unless man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this is essential in the Gospels. And like you said, it is stressed at the very start of Christ's ministry to the people in you know, uh, Matthew three eleven to 17, with John the Baptist declaring that he baptizes with water. But that one greater than him will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. Of course, this is the uh, point where Jesus appears to be baptized by John and the Spirit of God descends from heaven like a dove. But the phrase baptized by fire seems to really convey a, a meaning of change, of uh, purification down to the very elements. So the scripture here is obviously suggesting that much more is needed than being immersed or doused in water is is order to be in, in order to be saved. A complete transformation needs to take place, is what it's saying. Right. And, and anyone familiar with the Catholic liturgy knows that Holy Saturday is the time when this metamorphosis occurs. The vigil mass involves not only baptism, but the blessing of holy water and holy fire, by which the spirit is to be purified by water and fire and prepared for salvation, and thus eternal life. But also, like you mentioned, there is more to it, and that is sacrifice, the Eucharist, the breaking of communion bread. In the Old Testament, sins were atoned by sacrificing animals. To Christians, it is through Jesus' death, and is done after the baptism as part of this initiation. Well, I'm not Catholic, Joe, but uh, I hope that doesn't mean they have to touch the holy fire, just like they have to touch the holy water. <laughs> No, they just light a candle off of it and hold on to it. Then, you know, you know, pray over it. Uh, nobody has to burn themselves on it. <laughs> Very good. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, there are rituals found in some cultures that uh, some that uh, practice beliefs, uh, animism, but also some that follow Christianity in which touching a fire is part of purification and testing of the soul. The members of the uh, Sawau tribe in Fiji walk barefoot across burning hot, uh, uh, hot embers in order to be initiated as shamans as a way to prove their faith and to you know, cleanse themselves of evil. In Greece the Bulgar and Bulgaria, um, Eastern Orthodox priests sometimes take part in uh, anastanaria, which is the ritual of walking barefoot across flaming coals as so has to embrace the uh, spirit of the martyred saints and also cleanse themselves from their sins. So definitely a rough way to become purified. Yeah, for sure. 
You know, so the, the rite of baptism, as we know, it has origins that are referenced in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, to a time in Judaic history when there was a real emphasis on being ritualistically clean through proper bathing. And immersion in clean and undefiled water was therefore very important because it showed that person was now pure enough to be in compliance with the Mosaic law and could thus enter the temple of the Lord. Uh, the word for it came from the Septuagint, in which the in uh, Kauai Greek vocabulary it was used, the, the word for baptism. Yeah, and it's no coincidence that the Christian holiday of Easter is celebrated at the same time of year as the Jewish holiday of Passover. As you and I both know from our religious backgrounds, that there are apparent uh, theological connections with the Paschal sac sacrifice, which includes the Last Supper, the crucifixion, and the resurrection to the Passover feast. Both incorporate the imagery of uh, bloodshed and the belief in redemption that comes from that. We've talked before about how blood as a symbolic meaning that is powerfully and deeply rooted in mythology. It conveys an uh, illustration of meaning to the very essence and source of life. If it leaves our bodies, we die. So we need it more than just about anything. So you can almost go as far as to say that blood is life. I'm reminded of the old hymn that we used to sing a lot in the, in the church called There is Power in the Blood. So you remember it, of course, right? Yeah, I certainly do. Uh, yeah. And since ancient times, people have both venerated and feared blood, as it was believed to have the power to end life, the power to revive it, and of course also to have the power of the supernatural and the magic magical uh, for those certain figures uh, who were thought to be godlike. So uh, the shedding of Christ's blood has way more significance in the way of atoning for sins, which thus enables the believer to hope for eternal life after death in heaven. Um, blood is not only the symbol of life, it is the symbol of commitment, of covenant, an agreement or deal that cannot be broken, no way, no how, because God himself authored it and oversees it. So what is it about the idea of immortality uh, that it consumes our thinking so much? Is it that people are afraid of death? Is it because we don't know what happens after we die, that we want some kind of reassurance that it's not the complete end of us, but instead just a temporary separation from those we love. It, that could very well have a lot to do with it. Uh, there are not only spiritual and mythological approaches to this question, but also psychological and sociological ones. Now, obviously, uh, culture and societal environment have a lot to do with shaping these ideas, but how does such mental schemata form to the point of being expressed uh, as an actual belief in something, now, often dramatically expressed, as we've you know, pointed out? Uh, doing things like walking barefoot on top of fiery embers. Yeah, well, we have to wonder what it is about the afterlife that compels us the way it does. Uh, it is a natural human obsession. Why such a strong desire, whether religiously based or not, to, be to believe in, in uh, life after death or to believe that we don't die at all? And as we like to ask, could they have come about because our ancestors had encountered a race of alien beings at some point in the past? Could it have come about in the development of the human psyche um, throughout the ages? Because, as we like to ask, our ancestors had encountered a race of alien beings at some uh, time in the past who seemed to live forever. 
Now, we did talk about this a while back in our episode titled Planet Heaven, the Extraterrestrial Afterlife. And there we examined how medical scientists have embarked on research that suggests that the mind could exist without the need for the body, specifically the brain. Yeah, and you know, according to Jason Runyon, uh, an associate professor of neuropsychology at Indiana Wesleyan University, in his blog at Biola Center of Christian Thought, dated January 15th, 2013, it is conceivable that an individual with a conscientious immaterial soul, an essence that is not interrelated to the individual's body, can have the same essence within a different body. So when you consider something like a modern-day computer, uh, what about it gives it essence, or a robot, or anything that is comprised of what we would call AI, you know, artificial intelligence? What makes it do what it does? Is it the hardware, you know, the touch screens, the buttons, the LEDs, the solid state drives, uh, or uh, whatever other pieces that, you know, we're able to see? Or is it the software, uh, the stored data, the voltage levels that make up the ones and zeros of binary code, uh, the programming languages that contain millions of commands, the things that we are not able to see? Now, of course, it is both, um, but we know that many of the programs and much of the data stored in the memory circuits and the hard drives of the computer are not actually bound to that one particular machine. Uh, we see that can be taken from it and then put into the memory of another computer. Well, in fact, this software can be stored within the memory circuits of many different remote servers on the Internet, what we call the cloud. And the computer that uploaded it can be completely destroyed, yet the programs and data that were once stored on it still exist, and it can be downloaded onto other computer servers with no change to it. The software still exists, just in different pieces of hardware. So you still need the hardware in order for it to be contained and for its you know, processes applied to some purpose. Um, this is much like how our minds need a brain in which to you know, be stored and for which its processes can be applied for some purpose in the material world. So could it be that way with our consciousness? Are our minds part of something like an uh, Ethernet that connects to a worldwide web such that information can be stored and downloaded from somewhere else? even after the system that did the upload is no longer there. In this way, as long as there is a device out there that can store something, the software is sort of immortal. And could it be that Jesus was demonstrating this with his resurrection? So think about it. Was this perhaps the true reason for Jesus coming to us? Not so much to redeem us from hell, but to show us what we really are, um, that our true nature is immortal that death is more like a deactivation. If death is merely a de deactivation of ourselves, then can there also be a reactivation of it? Just like we see with computer software. Perhaps he wanted to enlighten us in this way, since he knew that we could not comprehend the perpetual existence of something like software, you know, our memory or our thought, because that knowledge was withheld from us at the very beginning. Uh, was that the salvation he was actually talking about? Is the salvation he offers actually a result in, in us being saved from unawareness? And it's not just Jesus' teachings, by the way. Even Buddha taught 
the death has a continuation with uh, with the belief that your consciousness continues after death and is then reborn. And that is indeed true. And we do find throughout the Gospels that Jesus often becomes frustrated with his disciples for failing yeah. to comprehend his metaphors and parables, as we see is the case with so many other things that people do misunderstand. So when you really look at the story of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, you see that he is re reincarnated into a new body. Uh, we find that even those who were close to him didn't recognize him at first. Uh, we see in Luke 24, 13 through 32, that two disciples were walking with him on the road to Emmaus and didn't know it. It was him until after he breaks bread and then he vanishes. Uh, Mary Magdalene doesn't recognize him either at first. Uh, it says in John 20, 14 through 18, that when she is by the tomb talking to him, yeah, she thought he was the gardener until he spoke her name. And then he told her not to touch him because he has yet ascended to the father. And this is an odd exchange between her and Jesus, uh, who, whose face she should have immediately recognized, right? Right. Well, there are also many people who believe that reincarnation has our you know, path to immortality. And it seems to fit more closely to the words of Jesus than many Christians realize. And think about how he promised us eternal life in John 11, uh, 25 to 26, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, he shall live. So obviously, we've seen many people who believe in him who have indeed died and are no longer here. And the hope is that they are now in heaven. But what if his statement was meant to be understood in a different way? You're right. Uh, you know, clearly his appearance in bodily form was different from the way it was before his crucifixion. Now, while reincarnation is normally thought of to be a, a tenet of Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism, it is also not a stranger to Christianity. Uh, early church fathers like Origen, Valentinus, Spesalides, and Justin Martyr uh, taught about how all souls are eternal and that all souls return to God after successive cycles of birth and death. Now, of course, it later became condemned as hearsay, uh, but yet we still have this fact that of the resurrection narrative where you know Christ is back from the dead, but is not recognized in the way of his body, but he's recognized in, this, in sort of a sacramental way as the Logos, um, as a revelation in a more spiritual way. Uh, he is recognized by his essence, but not by his appearance. Well, actually, the book of Thomas, which was omitted from the Christian canon, has Jesus quoted in chapter 49 as saying, Blessed are the solitary ones, the elect, for you will find the kingdom, for you come from it and will return to it. So it is when we get to this concept of immortality, it is then that we run into the biggest challenge to faith, that of believing it, uh, it without ever seeing it. So none of us have witnessed a person come back from the dead. Someone truly did, you know, biologically um, dead. Doesn't, it doesn't return to become alive again, like they're dead for a while. <laughs> uh, we know this because bodies are either destroyed or they decompose. So this is a fact, um, the one that everyone knows very well. Um, stories of the undead, like you know, with vampires and, and zombies, or of the uh, Frankenstein monster, are fiction. Uh, they are not real. So, if the body breaks down into a form that will not support any life functions, then how are we to believe 
that we get them back and proceed to exist in them. It has to be a new body altogether. Now we we all know about the the story of Lazarus from the Bible. He was he was dead for more than like three whole days in his in his tomb. Yet as the story goes, Jesus was able to say his name and bring him back to life. By this time, I mean he he should have had uh, rigor mortis and lividity. Uh, you know they sh- it should have become quite evident by this point. And it would be impossible for his body to come uh, out without it being completely uh, renewed. And like you uh, pointed out, even with Jesus, we find that uh, his resurrected body is very problematic. Not only that it seems to have uh, looked differently, but also in terms of how it violates the laws of physics, as well as um, the sort of... Uh, Cartesian uh, duality uh, theory that uphold the body and spirit being separate from one another. In Acts 1-9, Jesus ascends up into heaven as his disciples watch him being lifted up into the sky as a physical body, not as a spirit. So it's, it's, it's not possible for a physical body to do this. And in John 20, 19-26, uh, he is in a physical body yet he is able to pass through locked doors. Again, this is something that can be uh, attributed to spiritual entities, not physical ones. So the scriptures are actually not very clear about what is going on. Uh, if he's not a spirit, as, as uh, it seems to be suggested, then for his body to do those things would require some kind of mechanism or agent. Could that be the extraterrestrial connection to the whole account? Yeah, possibly. I mean, that's something I think about. And and we find an even more convoluted deviation from that principle with the transfiguration, uh, in which Jesus seems to be able to go from a body uh, to a spirit and then back to a body, almost like magic. Uh, And we have to wonder if it is possible for us to do the same thing, just as Paul alludes in Romans 6, 5, if we are united with him in his death, and we are certainly reunited with him in his resurrection. Uh, is there some kind of metamorphosis between body and spirit, and vice versa, that is still yet not understood by science, but was understood by Jesus Christ? Now, there is no straight answer to this, but some research breakthroughs in the field of quantum mechanics uh, may actually hold some clues to such a possibility. But this is actually explained by uh, Frank Tipler in the book titled The Physics of Christianity that possible existence of multiple universes uh, or universes, each their own uh, form of singularity may attribute in some way to the idea of immortality by crossing over interdimensionally. Um, consider that if there is a multiverse, then there could exist throughout the what would be multi-worlds, multi-beings, and multi-persons. So that if there is another universe that parallels this one, then that universe may contain people who, though dead in this one, they are now alive and well in, in another one. Um, now, I once, I once heard the astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson say in an interview that death is much like it was before you were born. You have no memory before you were born, and you did not exist. He said that death is, death is much the same way. You will cease to exist, and you will not know anything. Well, after hearing that, I thought to myself, 
Well, that was his opinion. Uh, even though he is a very intelligent man, he still cannot prove his statement. None of us can prove the existence of life after death. Therefore, anyone's opinion on the subject is no less defensible than his. So, you know, we've alluded a few times uh, before to uh, Carl Jung's theory of the collective unconscious, uh, a sort of level of thought and memory that is derived from inherited mental structures and are common to all living people, in which a conglomeration of knowledge and imagery are manifested through dreams and intuition. Now, he believed it was something that connects all of our mental processes to one another on a certain level. You can almost call it something like a superconscious. Now, based on the research by Dr. Amit Goswami, which is found in his work, The Self-Aware Universe, such epic phenomena may take place because synapses within the human brain may involve quantum tunneling. Now, this describes the ability of an object, uh, really more like a particle, to pass through a barrier, uh, like it disappears and then simultaneously reappears on the other side. So he claims that mental processes occur due to the human brain working like a quantum computer, which follows along pretty well with the idea of the cloud, meaning that what is going on in the brain is actually non-local. Um, if there is any truth to Goswami's theory, and all that is in our minds is not dependent, at least not totally, on the neurons firing in our brains. So if the brain is dead, these processes, like conscious memory and thought, can continue on somewhere. Um, perhaps if there really is a multiverse, then that's somewhere maybe in different dimensions. Well, the cold, hard truth of the matter is that death is inevitable. Um, that is a given and sure fact. So no one likes it. But when I say we are all going to die, I am not I am I, I am only referring to the natural course of things. So in other words, the body dies, but the true essence of who we really are may not. So it may somehow continue to exist. Uh, the true self is the real you. It's the entity inside which operates the body that you currently reside in. It's like operating a, a vehicle. You know, the car sits in the driveway waiting for you to get in and drive it. Your body sleeps at night waiting for you to wake it up. The entity inside your vessel makes you get up. It motivates you to get going. There are things you need to do. It drives your avatar by having you do what needs to be done for each day. The car is operated by an intelligence. Now, I push on the acceleration to make my my vehicle go. Um, I, I I tell it when to stop, how fast it goes. Uh, I, I make it turn whenever and which way. Uh, I make it stop and make it wait. I, I even take care of the car by keeping up with the oil changes and maintenance, much like your entity reminding you of taking care of your body with proper nutrition, exercise, and adequate sleep. So now, you know, Eastern mysticism is loaded with this kind of dogma uh, with what is known as the world soul or the universal soul, which is said to comprise everything and is one in being with itself in perfect unity. Uh, the Sanskrit word for it is Brahman, which in a way can be thought of as like a cloud or like the cloud, you know, the um, cloud computing information that is connected to, on the Internet. Uh, you, you can't just go somewhere to find it. It's it's pretty much everywhere, right? You can't just see it. You, you, you have to tap into it with required equipment, you know, a computer or a mobile device uh, that possesses the capacity to communicate and access data from 
anywhere by connecting to the internet. You just can't just go walk out the door and say, I, I want to find the internet. Where is the internet? It doesn't work that way. And only then can it be realized in a tangible way is by using a computer or a mobile device. So without the hardware, the information on the cloud, it's still there, always and everywhere. It's just not manifested through any comprehensible means. Uh, something has to connect to it, something that is separate in substance, yet compatible with the internet in essence. Now, in the Hindu scriptures, uh, known as the Upanishads, uh, this consciousness, which is separate from Brahman, but of the same essence, is called Atman. And it is a representation of the soul of an individual. So it is unique in what it is, but at the same time, it is part of something much bigger. And it's sort of analogous to a glass that is holding water from the ocean. Uh, the water in the glass is, uh, is unique. It's separate from the ocean, yet it is the same water in the ocean, and it's the same essence as the water in the ocean. Fascinating, as Mr. Smuck would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a mystical concept that uh, also comes from Hinduism, and that is called the Akashic Records. And everything and everyone in the universe is sort of affected by it, even in, in ways that may not be immediately apparent. Like with many of the rituals that, that we do, we usually don't give any thought to why we, we do them, since their meanings go back to a, a time that is not remembered. This, from, from how it is described, really does seem like the cloud computing on the internet, but instead of with servers you know, being connected uh, it, to it, it um, it's it is our minds that are connected to it, like uh, an extremely complex network, like a, a much bigger mind. It, it's an idea that was put forth by cultists of the Victorian era, so it has to give validity to paranormal interest, particularly with seances. The idea was that there was a special plane of consciousness which can be accessed through the uh, use of higher mental processes, such that someone could travel out of their body or see into the future or even communicate with dead spirits. You know, interestingly, I also found, you know, this sort of metaphysical or mystical and metaphysical notion of higher conscience from attending a Catholic mass. Um, mm -hmm. The priest had given a homily in which he described something called the Cosmic Christ, uh, which is a, a reference taken from Father Richard Rohr's book uh, titled The Universal Christ. Now, of course, this notion is very theological, but it presents the Christ, not Jesus, but Christ as an ever-encompassing presence that is eternally manifested throughout all of creation, um, but perfectly and completely present in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, it is to say that the universal truths of all religion emanate from the same source, yet are fully incarnate incarnate in him that being jesus uh and this whole thing holds an element of gnosticism which was a school of thought that was uh, very prevalent during the time of the early church and it put the emphasis on christ as the son of god and being much more detached from the jesus the palestinian jew the, the man um, but we can see that this is similar to what we were saying about consciousness and memory and, and personality that being it is ever-present and not confined to a particular body. Interestingly, that uh, the Gospel of Thomas you mentioned earlier is believed to have been written by the Gnostics in the 2nd century AD. And it was recovered from the famous Nag Hammadi scrolls, and it has shed quite a bit of light on the beginnings of Christianity uh, by showing it 
to be more of a universalism in the belief in the immortality of the soul. Well, in the chapter 29 of the book of Thomas, uh, we have Jesus saying, if the flesh came into being because of the spirit, it is a wonder. But if the spirit came into being because of the body, it is a wonder of wonders. Yet I marvel at how this great wealth has taken up residency in this poverty. The meaning of this is that there is a greater being, one inside of you, that cannot be seen and is living in a body that is doomed to perish. But like you said, the emphasis is less on Jesus opening up the gates to eternal life and more on him showing us the way to find those gates. You know, there is also another Gnostic gospel. It's the gospel of Judas, in which uh, Jesus taught Judas about embracing uh, or uh, our own, his own divinity, our own divinity, uh, to have the true relationship with God. And in this manuscript, uh, like Thomas, it was rejected as anathema. Uh, Judas claims that he was the only one to have gotten this point, while the other disciples didn't understand it. And Judas teaches that the body being resurrected after death is not a true body. However, those who understand their inner divinity will somehow enter the immortal realm. Uh, this, of course, is a theme that has been repeated many, many times throughout many centuries and across many cultures around the world. Right. Now, some people hearing all of this will say, well, you know, this is who we are as humans. We evolved uh, this way. Uh, this is what separates us from the animals. We are self-aware and we can reason. To that, I agree. But why is that? Uh, it's it's because of the upgrade implemented uh, into the Homo erectus by the Anunnaki, which progressed into the Cro-Magnon man to the Homo sapiens of today. So what was taught to to be of a religious undertaking during ancient times was nothing more in a major scientific breakthrough. Uh, just as we were evolving, we received an upgrade which caused us to have a conscious, which is a being in and of itself, one that is not made of flesh and blood, but that of uh, stardust, say. Now, could it be that the reason uh, we have conscious is that we were designed to have it by the extraterrestrials, the gods, with the lowercase g? when they made this genetic modification on our species so that well, we became self-aware just as they are self-aware. Um, have you have you ever wondered when, when watching those eerie videos that uh, uh, we've all seen in which, you know, little orbs of light float around and, and, uh, and they're thought to be the uh, souls or spirits uh, or some kind of energy from a, a deceased person. Well, why not see the entire form? Now, some do claim to have seen fully formed ghosts, but what if the orbs are containing the consciousness of the deceased vessel it once uh, housed, it, it was once housed in? If it was attached to or lived inside a brain somewhere, then that would make a little more sense, I think, as to why it's a tiny orb of light, right? Mm. Now, if an entity has developed inside of you since birth, which is pretty much what Paul teaches about the natural coming first and, and then comes the spiritual after that. And it is also what Thomas and Judas both claim Jesus directly taught them. So what they meant by, by this was your body is created and born first 
but it then obtains the consciousness, which is the real you who now has a vessel to use to obtain and develop a spiritual life or a walk with God or, you know, as some might say. And with that said, is it possible that another entity with consciousness, perhaps an evil and sinister one, might be able to infiltrate your living vessel? Almost like how a computer can have malware uploaded onto it. Could could this be what goes on with what we would call you know demonic possessions? Uh, so maybe it has less to do with evil spirits and more so with the epiphenomena connected with processes of self awareness. If so, then maybe exorcism is a real process to remove what might be thought of as bad software, sort of like malware for the mind. <laughs> well, I. <laughs> I guess you can say that uh, by using the body and car analogy, uh, a body can be stolen too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so I can imagine uh, as cops, you know, that, that therefore, uh, you know, we have a stolen human avatar walking southbound, acting possessed, uh, occurred sometime overnight during their sleep. Suspect is an evil personified deity from Precinct 5. <laughs> uh, invasion of the body snatchers, I guess. Right. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> But uh, but put, but all joking aside, a physical body isn't evil or good, right? Um, that choice is up to you, to us. Uh, you are in control of your own avatar, your own vessel, um, the bodies we, we all possess. So you are responsible for it during the, the life of it. Uh, you make the decision for it and use it for the betterment of society you have been assigned to, to live in. So... Jesus Christ most likely knew about this, which is why he taught us to to love your neighbor, forgive others, treat others with respect, etc. Um, the problem is not Jesus, it's religion. The, the men who hundreds of years after him formed institutions, political by design, and you know they used his name uh, for to promote a concocted idea about God's kingdom, both on earth and, and in heaven, all for you know wrong purposes. So did Jesus come to show us that there is another life outside of this one? Was he like a star child, like those we hear about in the religions of indigenous peoples? Uh, was he sent to us from, say, another star system or even from another dimension to reveal uh, that what we really are is consciousness and that our essence and our being actually extends well beyond the confines of our brains, which in turn are attached to our bodies? And that is what truly makes him a savior. Is that what truly makes him a savior? By de demonstrating that while physical ourselves do indeed go away, human life here, though relatively brief, is not who we really are. And that we have inner beings, which are, is our consciousness, and that has the capacity to continue living on after the body dies. So, you know, back in 1995, um, I think we talked about this once before, German scientists at the University of Freiburg carried out what I think sounds like a pretty weird and uncanny experiment. Um, they did it with a video recording camera and a television set, and they actually seemed to empirically prove this idea of immortality as something sort of like that, like a, a, cyber a cyberspace existence kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, that was where they summoned up their Swedish uh, colleague, uh, Fredrik Jurgensen, who had been deceased since 1987. Now, when he was alive, Jurgensen carried out many of these uh, kind of experiments in his you know, 1967 book, Voice Transmissions with the Deceased. 
So after being nearly uh, certain that they were receiving psychic messages from Jurgensen in the way of oddities being uh, seen on their computer monitor, they went ahead and aimed a video recorder at the television set only to see Jurgensen's face on the screen for about half a minute with uh, the garbled sound of his voice being being heard on the on the speaker that they could not decipher. So in, in another room, their computer was on, and there was uh, a message from uh, Frederick Jordanson's old email address with his name typed out on the screen. Yeah, it's kind of kind of scary, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it is an intriguing and an eerie account. As uh, Jurgensen had been dead for eight years when they did this, uh, and it's found in Bill Eigel's uh, chapter uh, titled "Sound and Pictures from the Other Side," and it's from the book "Forbidden Religion." However, the authenticity of the scientist's work has it was immediately called into question after they wrote their paper, and it seems that they were unable to repeat this process to get the same results when they were more, I guess you can say, scrutinous eyes that were observing them. <laughs> you know, that old Jurgensen story is like something straight out of the Twilight Zone. Absolutely, yeah. It, it was <laughs> kind, of, kind of creepy. Yeah. Well... I mean, nobody knows for sure about immortality. Uh, I mean, almost everyone affirms the belief in it through their own personal faith, but but no one has proven that it is real. Uh, even St. Augustine, the uh, great theologian, implied that heaven and hell were not places per se, but spiritual states in which one is in the uh, absence of God, like darkness, or the presence of God, which would be light. So without rigorously applying the scientific method to find the truth, all we're left with is endless speculation as well as a basis of faith. And the answer is that we do not know. Um, you know, some of these connections we pointed out may seem purely arbitrary, but what it could be is something that might be related to what is known as synchronicity. Now, this is another theory put forth by Carl Jung, but this is also something that even Albert Einstein had talked about. And what it is, is a description of things that seem uh, meaningful, yet lack causation in any concrete way. Now, we've all actually experienced this. We've all probably encountered situations in which we were you know, thinking about someone we haven't seen or, or heard from in a long time. And then maybe in just a matter of minutes, we come across them or receive a letter or a phone call from them. That's, that's happened to me a few times. Yeah, it's happened to me too. Um, I know many times I've I also think about a, a TV show or a movie that I had not seen in years, and it sort of enters my mind like a brief uh, fleeting thought. Uh, I won't ponder it very much, and, and I'll forget about it for a bit. And then later on when I'm watching TV, bam, <laughs> there it is, <laughs> the, uh, the very show with every scene that I had earlier been thinking about. And I always wonder and think, like, what did that? Like, was was that just a freak coincidence, or was there something happening on some kind of obscure telepathic plane, a parallel reality, if you will? I mean, at least five times now that I can remember, I was driving my car with no radio on. Uh, I wasn't on low. It was, you know, like uh, have it subconsciously or whatever, but it was not on. And um, and I will think of a song. And then turn on the radio, and the lyric I was singing is the lyric that plays when the radio came on. It's just mind-blowing. 
Yeah, I've experienced uh, that as well, you know, with, with like lines or scenes from the movies. And actually, it seems pretty common. I, I've encountered this quite a bit. And I'm always a, sort of amazed by it because it seems so random and right out of the blue. Yeah. Uh, but according to synchronicity, these kind of occurrences and interactions would be considered as significant coincidences in that they happen because of a collective framework that exists within our subconscious minds and they exist to connect to a higher level of intelligence. And that is what's at work, whatever that might be. Um, you know, I'm reminded of the Greek word apokatathesis, uh, to kind of bring this back to theology and religion, which means a return to God. And it comes from an early um, idea that was embraced by some of the early church fathers, like Clement of Alexandria. Uh, with it, there is a sort of scattering of souls or scattering of minds, maybe. Something like the sparkles that are dispersed around a snow globe whenever it's shaken. And after a while, the sparkles, they all go back to where they were before the globe was shaken. So apocatathesis is like that. All souls, all minds, whether they be good or evil, eventually, at some point, do return to God. It is like a universal salvation, perhaps a salvation through the understanding of our own consciousness. And if you remember the alien race called the Palladians, uh, who were who we described in uh, one of our episodes as as beings from the the uh, Pleiades in the uh, constellation Taurus, uh, who act like spirit guides in the in the universe, there are stories about such creatures of beauty and love. Um, they are star people who, being enlightenment, uh, who bring enlightenment to humans. Now, perhaps this is what we have received through the uh, the biblical narrative about the Son of God, who is called the Word, and who was with God, and who was God, as said in the opening of the Gospel of John. It, it could be that the Gnostics had it right when they believed that Jesus was a being of light, much like a starman. We certainly see that he is described as otherworldly, whether as found yeah. in the canon or in the apocryphal writings that were eventually rejected by the church. Uh, he left an indelible mark on the thinking of people back then, as well as in the present day, and in such a way that it, it ushered in a new age of spirituality that ultimately changed the course of history. And it is, is that it is because of the message, and the message and the belief, albeit on faith, is that we transform into a new life that is eternal, even after our mortal bodies have passed away. Uh, it is a profound notion, no matter who you are. So that will be it for today. Uh, we want to wish everyone out there, religious or not, a happy Easter and a happy Passover. Uh, enjoy this season. Uh, enjoy the holiday. Enjoy this season of spring. Uh, time of renewal in whatever way is the most meaningful to you. Yeah, we hope you uh, enjoy the time with your families and, and the food. <laughs> uh, don't forget the food. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the food tomorrow. Uh, um, or today, whatever. Uh, thank you for taking the time to tune in today. And uh, please join us again next time as we explore more about all of this, uh, life after death, spirituality stuff, and uh, and ask about our own existence in this reality. Uh, could it merely be only an illusion? Is it real? Or do we only perceive it as real? Simple, because we are an integral part of it. Uh, are we actually occupying some other dimension or different reality in something akin to the Matrix, you know, like the movie? Right. So 
We'll once again host our good friend Ryan for that very deep discussion on what is known as the simulated universe hypothesis, uh, which suggests that everything we see and all that we experience is actually a reality that is elaborately pre-planned and pre-programmed by outside forces, and that we, for the most part, are unaware of it because we're a part of it. Um, yes, just like in The Matrix. Uh, but it's actually a concept that goes back further in time than many people may think. Uh, long before there was ever the movie. So please join us next time for that show on our existence inside the Matrix, which we think should be pretty thought-provoking. Uh, we look forward to being back with you at uh, that time, so stay curious. Also, be sure to check out our website and subscribe to Alien Talk Podcast. And take care, everyone. Happy Easter. <laughs>